There is nothing like it in the world, is there? Having the opportunity to come to a gathering of people who are of like mind, like heart, like passion, to be able to lift up our praises in a cold, dark world and be able to proclaim who God is in our lives. Understanding that today, of all days, is Resurrection Day, and we serve the undisputed, undefeated, heavyweight champion of the world. His name is Jesus. And by him and his grace, we are allowed to live and breathe and have place and movement in this world. And it is so good to be with you. It's an honor this morning for sure. I am excited for what's happening in your student ministry. God is blessing us as we continue to work with students and get things uh, together over in the student side. If you have any questions about that, ever want to talk to me, I'm uh, more than happy to have that discussion with you. Excited about your students. There's nothing about there's nothing like growth, just watching students catch on to the grace of God and who he is and watching them as they, they understand that. And so it's a privilege to be a part of that process also. I uh, apologize for my voice this morning. I've been dealing with a sinus infection all week long, and so I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen here. I was hoping that maybe Jeff this morning would sing uh, some Oak Ridge Boys, maybe some Elvira or something like that, and I could come in on that bass part, but that didn't happen. I told the media team, I've got these handkerchiefs with me. If I pull these out, it's not because the Holy Spirit is moving. It's because you better cut my mic. Something's about to happen. <laughs> and so, uh, so we'll see what happens as we go. Turn to Psalm 27, would you? Psalm 27 this morning. Many of us uh, enter into these waiting rooms of life. That's what I want to talk about as we gather around God's Word and you know what it's like to be in a waiting room. You know what it's like to go to the doctor's office and, and you're waiting. And sometimes you're waiting on a prognosis. There's something going on. You're not sure what it is. And there's a lot of anxiety and fear as you're waiting for the doctor to come back in and let you know what's up. Some of us uh, have been to an office waiting room. We know what it's like to have the prospective job offer that may be coming our way. And there's excitement that comes with that. There's this idea of a new beginning that comes with that. We know what it's like to be in that waiting room. We know what it's like to be in the waiting room of the DMV and be frustrated to all end because these people in front of you cannot seem to get their paperwork together and you want to say something terribly. You're frustrated. You know what it's like. You, you know what it's like to be in the waiting room of a labor, labor and delivery unit to, to understand that Somewhere back there is a family member having, having new life, new birth is coming into this world, and all of the joy that comes with that. We're, there are so many waiting rooms of life, but it's quite possible this morning that you walked in and you're in this season of waiting, watching for what God may do. Maybe you're waiting on God to bring some finances into a situation. You need Him to move, to act, to work. Maybe you're waiting on Him to bring the right relationship to you. Maybe you're waiting on the right man, the right woman, some sort of relationship. Maybe you're waiting on God to show the next step in a relationship that needs healing and how to get to that point. And you're watching and, and, and trying to find wisdom on how to move forward in that. Maybe you're waiting on God to do something. Listen, it's often in the waiting rooms that we have the biggest stress and the anxiety of our lives. Just not knowing what to do. Your church is entering into this season of waiting on God to move and work and send leadership this way. What is that going to look like? What, that, what is that going to feel like? 
Can God work in those seasons? He absolutely can. Matter of fact, we're going to find that out this morning. Psalm 27 is going to tell us very, very shortly in one verse, verse 14, of what, how God is going to move and act. And we're going to flesh this out. I'm going to use this as a springboard scripture to get us into other scriptures this morning as we move through this. But Psalm 27, 14 simply says this. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. The Hebrew word for wait is the word kavah an interesting word as you look at the etymology of that word and begin to break it down it, it's actually describing a process we translate it into the word wait but to the the Jewish people they would have understand kavah is is kind of a measurement of time and a process that it took to build a rope as the people would gather together back in those days in those archaic days and they would begin to take the fibers and the flax or the threads, the cotton, and they would begin to weave those fibers together. They were making rope. And the, the term that they used to describe the, the time it took for that process to happen was the word kavah. We, we translate it the word wait today. But as, as we look at that and begin to understand, we, we think waiting is this negative word. We often put this negative connotation on it. It's actually kind of a positive thing because if you think about it, the more time and the more energy that is put into building the rope, the longer the rope will be. The stronger the rope will be. We, we put negatives on weight, but in all essence, when we look towards God, it can be this strong process that God uses to make us better, to make our reach longer, to unite us and bring us together, make us stronger. So what is God trying to do in the waiting rooms of life? In your particular waiting room, what is he trying to do this morning? How are we being made stronger? First thing I want you to write down is waiting focuses our attention. Waiting focuses our attention. Listen to what Psalm 130 verses 5 and 6. I'm going to just put the scripture reference on the screen. You, you can write those down and, and look back at them later. But Psalm 130, 5-6 says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than the watchman wait for the morning. And then he repeats himself, more than the watchman wait for the morning. The watchman, as we come to understand it, is that first night shift. It's that security person that they would set on the wall of the city. His job was very clear. He would be the one that as the city slept, he would be up on the wall watching and, and waiting for any sort of danger, any sort of attack that may come against his people, his family. So he would get up on the wall at night all by himself and he would peer out into the darkness, listening intently for what may happen, watching into the darkness so that he could fulfill his job. And as the morning would come, don't you know the excitement that he would feel as, as he washed out, knowing he, he had done his job well, and the, the shades of gray would begin to, to come about as the sun would rise. Those shades of gray would turn into hues of orange. And as the sun rises and the city begins to wake up behind him, 
Knowing he had done his job well, he could set his, his weapons down, and then he could take his rest. And this scripture describes this process of a watchman waiting for the morning is that same kind of process that we encounter God where we wait for him with our whole being. We put our hope and we're trust and our trust in him. Our focus and our attention come squarely on the God. We become laser-like focused on him in the waiting rooms of life. That's what God allows for us as we go through this. He, he, he wants our attention. He needs us to be settled on him, to increase our faith. He asks for our attention. And so our waiting times often cause us to go to God and God alone. What's the opposite of that? Our attention becomes laser-like focused on him, but what's the opposite when, when our attention goes other ways? That's, that, when we start looking at the things of the world or when we start looking at somebody else to fulfill what we need, we, we have a word for that. It's called idolatry. When we focus on anybody else other than God to sustain us, to move us, to bless us, then it becomes this form of idolatry. We don't, we don't like to talk about that in today's society, but that's, that's what it is. It's just taking our minds and our hearts off of him. We, our first case of idolatry, I think, comes about in the case of the Ten Commandments. Do you remember the story? Moses takes off. He's led the people out of slavery. They're on their way to the promised land. They experience the parting of the Red Sea. They're beginning to watch God provide for them in all of these ways. And then they get to the mountain. And Moses says, hey, wait here while I go up on this mountain. I'm going to hear from God directly. He's going to speak to us. He's going to give us the parameters for life. He goes up on the mountain. They don't see him for a couple of days. They don't see him for three or four days. The people grow restless. They wonder, have we just been brought out here to die? Where, where are we going? What does all this mean? Were we safer? Were we more comfortable as things used to be? And they wait on Moses. Forty days he doesn't show. What do they do in the meantime? Even though they've experienced tremendous workings of God, the grace of God in their lives, they go to Aaron and they say, Aaron, no Moses, no leadership. We're not going to wait anymore. Why don't you build us a golden calf? The same people that had just experienced God tremendously, because they get a little bit restless, they build a calf and they begin to worship, bowing and bending, singing and dancing around a golden calf calf thinking that this calf would somehow come to life and lead the people listen we have to be really really careful in our waiting seasons because while it is meant to draw our attention to God in our flesh and in our nature if we allow it we can actually get our attention off of God if we walk in today and we're in a great big hurry as a church or in the waiting room that you're in, if we're in this tremendous hurry to get all the answers, to get all things uh, taken care of, if, if we have a tremendous need for hurry, and uh, in addition to that, if we need to have control. 
If we have to have some sort of control, I, I'm, I'm the one that's kind of over this. I'm the one that's going to help this along. We have to be really careful because hurry plus control will lead to idolatry. Waiting makes us feel helpless. It makes us feel powerless. But we need to think about how God is using it to focus us in directly on him. Do you sense it in your church, even this morning? You're talking about these prayer movements that are beginning to happen. This time of going to God directly and asking him to move and to work. It's such a tremendous thing when God grabs our attention and we go to him directly. So if you're sitting in the room today waiting on a promise, keep your attention on the only one who can fulfill the promises. The second thing that I want you to write down today is that waiting develops our character. Waiting develops our character. God is doing a work to focus us on him, to grab our attention, but God is also working to change something in us. It's often during a waiting spell that God is forming us. He's molding us. He's bringing about something new in us. It's why the season happens, because God is teaching us. He's going to bring about a new day in our lives. He's going to bring about a promise in our lives. But in order for us to receive that promise, we've got to be a people that have the character to to take that promise and run with it. If we have the wrong attitude, the wrong character, we haven't been equipped, God's promise comes and we miss it or we mess it. We miss it or we mess it up. Listen to what Romans 5 says. Scripture reference is up on the screen. But I want you to listen to how how this progresses as we walk through Romans 5, 3, and 4. We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. Now, problems and trials often feel like that waiting period in our lives. When we're walking through a problem, God's making us wait. We can rejoice in that. Why? For we know that they help us develop endurance. Endurance. Now, now listen to the progression. And endurance develops strength of character. Character comes. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his Love. There's, there's a progression that happens here. We walk through the problem. We walk through the waiting season because God is producing endurance in us, making us more faithful towards him. And as we become more faithful, looking towards him, he produces some character in us, some maturity in us, some faith in us, some newness in us that maybe we didn't have before because a promise is coming. We have this confident hope that God is going to move. He's going to work on our behalf. And if he does, we've got to have the character established in order to receive it. He's moving us to have more confidence in him. So if you're here this morning and wondering why God isn't moving in a particular area of your life, I probably know kind of the questions that you're wrestling with. If you're waiting for God to move, I bet at some point you've asked yourself, why isn't God doing something about this? 
maybe finance, maybe sickness, maybe relationship. Why isn't God moving? Because you've come today and you understand God is all-powerful. You believe that. You believe that with the snap of his fingers, with a, a single word from his voice, that he can change everything on a dime. And you wonder, why? Why doesn't he move? He's all-powerful. Can he move? Yes, absolutely. Why? Write this down. Because love guides power. His love for you, his love for this church, guides how he exerts his full power in our lives. Maybe, maybe he's developing something in us during those waiting times. Maybe, maybe he's growing us before this demonstration of his power happens. If you're a parent in the room, you get this. You know what this looks like. You have power over your children. You tell them where to go. You set their parameters for life. You, you take care of their needs. You provide for them. You have great power over their lives. But your love guides that power because you know what they need when they need it. You know how they can handle freedom and responsibility. You know, if my daughter, my 16-year-old daughter, if she wanted to take a road trip to New York City tomorrow, I'm not going to go home and say, take off, have at it. She's not going to know where to go. She's not going to be self-aware enough to handle that kind of responsibility. She, she's not going to do well with a road trip by herself in New York City. There's no way. I don't go, you don't go home and toss the car keys to your five-year-old. Take off, buddy. Have fun. Why don't you do that? Do you have the power to do that? You absolutely do. But your love guides that power. You're waiting for them to develop the gifts, the skills, the character necessary in order to handle the freedom that comes with them. Instead of asking God, why aren't you moving? Let me, let me pose this question. Maybe ask God instead, God, what are you doing? What, what are you doing inside of me? What are you making inside of me? What, what is it inside of me that you are developing? Listen, it becomes an exciting journey when you kind of change your, your intent and focus on what God is doing inside of you. He may be growing your faith. He may be making you into a leader. He may be deepening your walk with him. He may be releasing you from some sort of idol. God cares more about who we're becoming than where we're going. God cares more about who we're becoming than where we're going. How do we know that? Look at the people of Israel again. Brought them out of slavery, sending them to a promised land. That journey should have taken, according to archaeologists, it should have taken about 11 or 12 days. How many days did it take? 40 years. An 11 or 12 day journey out of slavery to the promised land took about 40 years. Why? Because God was develop, developing them into the type of people that would carry his name and renown across the world. He was bringing about a faith inside of them. He was teaching them all of the parameters of how they were to live. Have you ever read Exodus 
Numbers, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, seeing all the laws and the commands that came with that. Listen, they were needing to be established in their faith. They were needing to know who God is and know who they are before they could ever get to the promised land and find their place. So he, he cares more about who we're becoming than where we're going. We worry a lot. Man, what's going to happen? What am I supposed to be? Who am I supposed to marry? Where is this job leading? We, we worry a lot about that, and, and rightfully so. I'm not discounting any of it, but, but really what we need to look at is, man, what is God doing in my life to make me a more faithful follower of Jesus? Waiting causes surrender. Write this last point down. Waiting causes surrender. God works in his own time. He works in his own ways. He is sovereign over our lives. Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, the, the reference is up on the screen. Let me read it to you. You've heard it before. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than then your thoughts. When we're in a waiting room of life, we have to get to a point where we understand God is bigger. He knows more. He can do more. I have to surrender to his, his ways. We, we all face these situations. We want to have this death grip, man, on the situations in our lives. We, we want to figure it out, especially the guys in the room. We've got to figure it out, and we've got to fix it. All of us have control issues. And I'm not talking about bladder. I'm talking about control issues. We all feel it. We want to take our lives by the horns and direct. But then we come to passages like this where we understand God is so much bigger than who we are. All of us dream about things, what we should have, where we should be at this point in life, how our relationship should go. We all dream about that. Man, I, I sat down the other day and I counted up how many things, how many professions I thought I was going to have growing up. In fourth grade, I thought I was going to be a bulldoze operator. Man, I wanted to run heavy equipment. My uncles were in construction. They were my heroes. That's what I wanted to do, fourth grade. By sixth grade, I decided not to do that. I wanted to become a pharmacist because the pharmacy down the street served ice cream. That's what I wanted to do. By 8th, ninth grade, I thought I was going to uh, become a doctor because they made a lot of money. And so doctors, that's, that's what I wanted to do. And then I took chemistry and biology my freshman year of college and knew that's not what I was going to do. <laughs> so then I turned to teaching. I was going to be a teacher. I was going to teach for a while, and then I was going to become a principal, and I was going to be the one that got to do the discipline on the kiddos. I was ready for that. And then God took me into television. Graduated school, married, got a job in TV. I, by 24 years old, I was a department head of a TV station down in Texas. Thought that's what God had me doing. And here I am standing before you, preaching his word. Who had control over my life? Waiting brings us to a point of surrender. Listen to me. Playing God is exhausting in our lives. If we're 
the type of personality that comes into the room, I've got to figure it out, I've got to get a handle on it, I've got to direct this, you're going to be an exhausted person. It's going to tire you out. This verse says that his thoughts are not our thoughts, his ways are not our ways. Psalm 46.10 says it a different way. Be still and know that I am God. Some of you probably have that in your house written somewhere. Some of you have that verse memorized. Be still and know that I'm God. If you look at the context of that verse, it's kind of a war verse. It's, it's written in, in, in war language. It, it kind of really means cease striving. That's how the King James interprets it. I like that. Cease striving. What it, it's really saying to us is drop your weapons. Cease striving. End the conflict. Drop your weapons. Know that he is God. Relax. Be still. Give it to him. Find out what his ways are. Surrender to him. A few years ago when the kids were little, we went to uh, Branson and we wanted to ride roller coasters. I, I like riding the roller coasters. I enjoy that. And the kids were kind of at an age where I thought maybe they could get on a roller coaster with me. They were going to experience that for the first time. So we go to the Mecca of all rednecks, Silver Dollar City. Okay? We're hanging out at Silver Dollar City, and I make a beeline, first thing, to a, a roller coaster ride called the Powder Keg. You know it? Powder Keg? You've ridden the Powder Keg? Pretty good ride. Kind of shoots you out. All of a sudden, you go from zero to 55 miles an hour in about three seconds. You climb about 10 stories. It drops you out all of a sudden. Uh, as you hit that dip, all of a sudden you're going through some, some big turns in the middle of the roller coaster. You're pulling some pretty good negative Gs. It, it's a good ride. I'm thinking my kids are going to love this. We walk them up, super disappointed because my middle son and my daughter Real young at that point, they, they didn't match the height requirement. But my oldest son did. And so I'm like, Tyler, seven-year-old Tyler, let's go. Let's do this. We're standing in line. We're watching this ride. I'm excited. I'm jacked. I'm ready to go. He's looking at these people being hurled through outer space, <laughs> screaming their heads off, thinking, I, I'm crazy. Okay? So I'm having to talk to him a little bit about this. We get up to the roller coaster, we sit down. I'm thinking, man, this is, this is awesome. My son's first roller coaster ride. They strap us in, green light hits, they bust us out of there. His little hand comes over into my leg and digs in with everything that he's got. It takes us up those 10 stories and it drops us out, and I mean, he's got a death grip on me. His eyes are shut the entire ride. The eyes are shut. We pull into the little station there, and we get out, and I'm so happy, and we're high-fiving, you know, just like he had done something tremendous. He closed his eyes the entire ride. But, man, we're, we're high-fiving. Man, that was great. That was a chest bump. Yeah. Let's go tell Mama. So we take off, and, and we're, we're excited about that experience. We take the other kids, and uh, he thinks he's a big man now, so he doesn't really ride. The little kid rides. The other ones do gets close to the end of the day I said Tyler let's do it one more time let's go ride the powder keg say what (laughs) 
come on now, you were, you were super pumped, let's, let's go do this. So we're standing in line again. We're going to end up at the front of the coaster. This is good. Somebody's going to hurl. <laughs> we end up at the right, front of the coaster, and I tell him a little bit of a story. It's kind of true. It's kind of a story. But I say, man, at the front of the coaster, there's a rule. You have to have your hands up the entire time that you're on the trip. Really? Is that what I'm supposed to do? Yeah. Yeah, matter of fact, yeah. And everybody else will, too. He says, okay, Dad, I'll do it. We sit down in our little seat. They buckle us in. They shoot us out. Get up 10 stories up. He's got his little hands up in the air. So proud. And then the bottom drops out. Death grip. (laughs) Eyes closed. We come out of that, hands up. We go into a curve. Death grip. Eyes closed. Up, down, up, down through the whole trip. Finally, we pull back into the docking station. We get out. We're doing our high fives. And I said, man, wasn't that awesome? He said, Dad, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't like having my hands up. Really. Why is that, son? Because I didn't feel like I had any control. Isn't it strange how the international sign of surrender is hands up? Every language across the world recognizes hands up. Surrender. We come to verses in Scripture that say, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Be still. Be still. Cease striving. Know that I am God. Maybe you come in here today, you're carrying this heavy burden You're in a hurry for God to move. You're in control. What is he wanting to do in this waiting season of your life? What is it that God wants to do in the midst of this body of believers as we wait through this interim season? But it could be that you've come here today. You have never called Jesus Lord and Savior. There's a reason that we use the word Lord closest translation we have today is boss, master. When you call Jesus Lord, you are making him master of your life. You are placing the full weight of your life on who he is as Savior, Redeemer, lover of your soul. Have you given your life to him? When you give your life to Jesus is when you find that full freedom to live. If you've come today and you don't know who he is, I would encourage you during this worship time that we're about to enter into, a time of reflection, a time of invitation, to come to one of your staff members and to talk to them about how you can know Jesus. Give him, surrender, surrender to who he is. Saying, Jesus, where you go, I'll go. What you do, I'll do. My life is nothing without you. Make that decision today.